Okay, Mexico City, are you rolling? Yep, is going. Houston, how are we doing over there? Yep, I think we are, we've already started. Okay, Alejo, you're a tough guy to get on the line. I guess our difficulties in scheduling the interview are a sign of the boom times for solar in Latin America, (laughs) huh? It is, it is, and sorry about that. It's, It's very unpredictable and exciting, but it's also chaotic and it really... It's hard for me to plan my day. Hey, Stephen, I feel the same way about Alejo. <laughs> I want to talk to you more often. <laughs> well, I've got good news for you, Manan. We've got him captive for the next hour or so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Stephen Lacey, and this week, a bonus episode for you, produced in collaboration with Next Tracker. It's all about the roaring Latin American solar market and the risks and rewards that come with it. We are speaking with two of the most in-the-know people on the subject, Manon Parik, our very own solar analyst focused on the Americas, and Alejo Lopez, a senior director at Next Tracker, who's helped grow a 3-gigawatt pipeline of trackers in Latin America, resulting in some of the cheapest and grandest solar projects in the world. Auctions in Mexico, Chile, Argentina, Colombia, and Brazil are unleashing extremely low prices, between 2 and 3 cents a kilowatt hour in some cases. As a result, the region is actually the strongest for trackers compared to the rest of the world. It's also a pretty crazy place to do business. Every country's different. Political and economic volatility can make markets super hot one year and then non-existent the next. And ultra-low prices? Well, they aren't always healthy. Still, Wood Mackenzie Power and Renewables projects exponential growth for Latin America, making it 10% of the global market within the next few years. So what does exponential growth look like? And what do solar markets based on unsubsidized, extremely low-priced projects mean for businesses? I turned first to Manan to explain that growth. The last two to three years has been just a really fascinating uh, landscape to cover, When you look at solar development elsewhere in the world, from the U.S. to Europe, China, you look at Latin America and you think of the resources and especially the demand that exists, and you think, why not? Exponential growth, I think, to me is kind of a blend of all of these. It's almost like a a perfect storm of all these things coming together, all these different elements. Sensible policy, I feel like policy development and and enactment, you know, working with utilities in the region, um, project development actually taking place and and financing coming from both public and private sectors, that all leads to exponential growth. And we're seeing a lot more of that uh, in in some of these major markets. Alejo, a perfect storm? So I'm glad you mentioned that because we see, uh, you know, some of this exponential growth, but it's usually, uh, in my opinion, tied to, you know, an auction. Or, for example, Mexico, it went from, you know, zero, almost zero megawatts of solar to, you know, two gigawatts already operating now and probably about five gigawatts operating uh, later this year. So you, you can you have those bouts of, of growth that can happen, you know, really quickly. But, I, you know, like hyper growth is, is not necessarily sustainable, right? So at some point it's going to level off. Uh, until, you know, some other uh, thing happens. I think I do uh, foresee, you know, high healthy growth, but I think, you know, unless there's this very aggressive, you know, mechanisms, uh, auctions or or, or something else that occur, I don't think we're going to see 
you know, tons of this, uh, you know, hyper growth happening throughout the region. I do think that we're going to see more of that and, you know, in the DG space that it hasn't been, I think, properly supported. And, and by DG, I mean like under 10 megawatts. I think th that segment has a huge potential for, you know, regionally, uh, you know, grow at a much faster pace. Well, hyper growth looks really good on the page when you read a report and you look at the numbers. Um, but when you're actually doing business in a country or in a region, hypergrowth, again, can be unsustainable. It can mean bad things for subsidy programs. It can mean uh, depressed pricing, which you know puts stress on project economics. It can mean a lot of bad things, too. What are some of the areas that you think are important to check hypergrowth? Definitely. So... Uh I think, I mean, we saw it in Chile, for example, in 2013, 2014, you know, two gigawatts of solar just went in. And then, um, you know, after that, it came a huge um, hiatus of projects, of no projects. And and the reasons were, you know, the, the transmission capacity was, you know, at its limit already. And you had all these PV projects, you know, tying in into same node. So that was, you know, a huge obstacle that was, you know, uh, met, you know, fairly quickly. And then the other thing, a lot of these projects, you know, kind of more in the happy-go-lucky, uh, you know, time in Chile with very high PPAs, they got a little bit more, you know, um, you know, risk-daring and went to, you know, do some merchant solar back then. And, you know, guess what? You know, you had all these projects tied into, you know, the same node or similar node. So, you know, margin prices went to zero and all of those projects went bankrupt. So, we all want to see hyper growth, especially, you know, us folks in companies like Next Tracker. But I think it's good to, to also have good visibility into that growth making sense and being sustainable, you know, even though the rate might be a little bit lower down than we think or that we want. Now, I'm going to ask a question. And I'm going to ask a different variation for each of you because I'm wondering how your answers stack up. So, Manon, I'm going to ask you, what are the best markets, the, the best markets in terms of growth? And then Alejo, I want to ask you, what are the best markets to do business? And I want to see if they align. So, Manon, what are the top three markets right now in Latin America and why? Yeah, I think you, you still have to, regardless of developments, recent developments, I think you still have to point to Mexico and Brazil being the top markets um, for, for opportunity and the top markets for just sheer growth. Uh, they're the top two economies in the region. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of electricity demand growth uh, year over year. Uh, and, and there's, quite frankly, just a need in certain areas of uh, each of these countries for uh, generation. And solar is one of those technologies that can provide that alongside other renewables. You know, Alejo mentioned Chile a little bit, and I think Chile was one of the early adopters for technology. But given even given some of the risk that's associated and, and I think forever, almost feels like forever tied with the market, Argentina is, is a really fascinating um, play for, for solar PV. Um, and we continue to look at the market, I mean, beyond some of the Renovar rounds, uh, looking at, you know, whether there is going to be sort of an IPP market, whether distributed generation is going to be adopted on a countrywide level. Um, and, and so, you know, I definitely think if I were only to pick three, 
those would be my three. Um, and, and, you know, that, of course, may differ as far as what's the best to do business in. Alejo, how does that square with the best countries to do business? So we're going we're gonna to agree on Mexico, uh, Manan, but we're going to disagree on the rest. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, def definitely Mexico, I think um, it, it aligns well, you know, the market potential uh, with the, you know, ease to do business. I think it's, it's uh, uh, you know, it's, it's a very sophisticated country in terms of financial system, um, you know, uh, policy to a large extent, and is very friendly to, you know, U.S. and foreign companies. So absolutely there with brazil i think we uh i would now put it on my list of you know places that are great to do business in you know three things i mean i would say you know in the context of latin america brazil has a different language so i mean that that is one uh a second one it has a tax structure that is extremely complex and complicated uh to be honest that that really doesn't support development very well and and the third one is you know it, it's a very protective market it's a local market and it has always you know a local content requirement you know as an extractor we do have it you know a plan operating there so we do meet that local content but definitely that is something that nobody in the industry wants at least uh, you know as a requirement right you might want to have it as an option and then so, so my my second one. Let me go back to my list. So, Brazil, uh, Mexico is the first. The, I would say second is Chile. Definitely, Chile is extremely uh, easy to do business. Uh, the the issue with Chile is that the market, the opportunity hasn't been there um, so far. After 2015, it's been mostly a DG market. Um, you know, kind of uh, ground mounted DG under 10 megs market, which is great, but you know, it's not that exciting as it used to be. The market is coming back, however, and we can talk a little bit more about that. And Argentina is the one that definitely is, is not an easy country to do uh, business uh, in. Uh, I think it's easier than, than Brazil. Definitely not as easy as Mexico or Chile. So it is sort of on my list because there's no other big solar markets around that we can point to. So on that one, maybe we're, you know, 50-50 Manan there agreeing that Argentina is, is, on, is on the list. And <laughs> well, I wanted to circle back on, on Chile. Um, and and I, I understand that, that these, are, these are two, they're, they're different questions as far as outlook on the market and, and where the opportunity is versus ease of doing business. And in Chile, you did mention the under 10 megawatt, the, the uh, sort of small, medium, distributed generation type of projects. How does that affect you as far as, you know, when you, when you think about a market like Chile and you say, okay, the opportunity might be coming back, do you mean that from like a larger, greater than 10 megawatt scale where where you're seeing a little bit more movement in the in, in in as far as larger utility goes yes definitely so we've we've endured chile uh, because of the promise of the larger projects coming back and and you know we've been we've been pretty active actually in the in the three and ten megawatt uh, deals but you know when you're doing 100 and 200 and 300 and 800 in the case of next tracker it's kind of hard to uh, make a lot of sense about three megawatts, but um, you know we've we're, we're seeing some um, sophisticated developers that are you know uh, putting portfolios together. So with that angle, uh, it makes them interesting and viable, and it keeps us in the market. But we are you know we are seeing a 
you know, a comeback, not like in the in the heyday of Chile, uh, but I think that is also reassuring. We're seeing good sponsors behind, you know, projects that have been in development for a while and they were stalled uh, mostly on interconnection issues. And, and we're seeing those projects uh, coming back and, you know, 100 and a couple of hundred megawatts and, and you know, with a combination of uh, pre-PPAs and some uh, merchant component. But we're seeing a, a much smarter development in, in Chile, which I think is exciting, especially, you know, instead of all the projects going up north, you know, where, uh, you know, the promise of the mining companies buying your powers which never happened. And then you're stuck up there with a grid that is not integrated into the, you know, larger national grid with, the, with Santiago is the main load center. So we're seeing projects now develop more in the central part of Chile. Uh, you know, they're going through uh, harder permitting processes. But yes, you know, I, I'm seeing, you know, good utility scale projects coming back. Um so, yeah, I don't think it's going to be a gigawatt, multi-gigawatt uh, market like it used to be, but it would be a healthy, you know, a few hundred megawatts a year market. And I think that's, it's important. We mentioned sustainable growth, market growth. And I think Chile has, in a sense, kind of figured out what it is and, and figured out who exactly it is. And it's not trying to kind of overextend and, and over-tender or trying to overbuild out beyond its means the way it, it sort of used to. I, I, I have to say that they could have done a little bit better, <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, in, in the way the regulation works and stuff. So we don't need to take all the time yeah. with Chile, but, uh, you know, the, 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 the block concept they have, you know, that, it, that an, an intermittent source like wind and solar can has to supply 24-7 power is preposterous. And I think they could have been a little bit more friendlier uh, you know, from a regulatory standpoint, uh, I think, you know, they should, man- they should be still strict in terms of uh, interconnection and permitting. But I think from a regulatory standpoint, they could uh, facilitate more projects and better projects if, um, you know, you don't have that requirement that you need to supply 24-7 power. So, so each of these markets is fairly different. But what binds them together is the astonishingly low prices that we're seeing within auctions uh, among the countries that you've just outlined. I'm curious if th- these prices that we're seeing are sustainable and what are the technological drivers that are actually allowing bids at such incredibly low levels? Alejo, do you want to talk from the Next Tracker perspective? Yeah, I think I think it's, it's good to you know, tying back to, to you know, hyper growth uh, also conversation is, you know, what's driving that growth and how is, you know, technology and and in some cases business models supporting that. And in my opinion, what I'm seeing is there's a lot of positives, but there's also some, some risk elements that I think we need to, um, you know, be careful. And on, on the positives, um, you know, what I'm seeing is definitely, you know, on the technology side, I'm seeing a you know um, a lot of a lot more of distributed type of uh, technologies both on the inverter side and on the tracker side and and of course that that's great for next tracker that we have a distributed architecture for a tracker and we're seeing that really um, you know helping reduce uh, BOS cost on the module side the advent and the and the increased use of uh, high efficiency cells like monoperc and as as of recent with more bifacial uh projects i think that's also helping you know on the yield side but also indirectly on the bos side 
what I'm also seeing, and, and this is, you know, tying back to, you know, do these prices really are sustainable and, and can you replicate this, you know, moving forward is there's a lot of risk taking on some of these projects, both on the, on the sponsor side, when, when you bid a low twenties, uh, solar PPA and subsidize that we saw in Mexico. And of course, everybody behind it, that bid, uh, accordingly, you know, namely the, the EPCs. And I think there's some assumptions behind, you know, those prices that are risky and, and in some cases also they're wrong. And I think we're seeing, I'm seeing also in the, in the marketplace, some, some projects having, you know, serious, uh, problems because there's, there's no room for error when you get to that low of a price. So it's a combination in my opinion of, you know, good stuff that is replicable on the, on the technology side. Uh, but also we need to uh, be careful about taking unnecessary risks in, you know, on behalf of, of sponsors and EPCs. Talk a little bit more about how trackers fit into this picture and how these low prices encourage you to innovate on the product side. Yeah, so, so the... You know, or the just, products allow allow developers to bid in <laughs> at lower prices right. as well. <laughs> right, because there's this interplay between between both. I think, I mean, definitely, you know, Next Tracker has. We've looked at, you know, what's next. I mean, how can we continue to support, you know, the industry competitiveness? And you know, you cannot only look at the cost side of equation. I mean, steel prices have gone up over the past, you know, three four years, pretty much steadily up except for, you know, a couple of uh, times when prices have decreased. So, you know, what what we produce for the most part is not necessarily tied to commodity prices like solar modules that you can bet that the, the trend can continue to go down. Still, you can really bet that. So we need to look at, at the other side of the question, which is, you know, what other benefits can you um, look for in a tracker, for example, and you know, I mean, from from the the start of next tracker, you know, the the ease of construction was always taken into account, right? So we had this more life cycle approach to tracker, rather to give you the lowest possible cost, which people love. We say, hey, you know, th- this you know tracker is not just your rack in your structure but it's also you know the backbone of a power plant and and in such if you select correctly you can save a lot of money uh you know over the life of the plant both in O&M asset management and as well construction uh but we do run uh quite a bit into folks uh you know here in the market this is these are like less sophisticated markets than the US or Europe for example where you know things have been tried and 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 you know EPCs and sponsors for the most part know you know what works what doesn't and folks that are not overly creative which i think is great and and you have you know on the tracker side probably you have one two or three trackers maximum in the us in mexico you have short list of 10 and 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 that is you know it's like everything is on the table because you know everybody can lure you with a with a with a very low attractive price maybe they have zero megawatts built or a terrible product to build or a bad track record but it's still alluring you know to to have that very low price or need it you know and again back to those those you know very uh, cheap ppa so for us is we spec more and more folks 
to start doing equipment selection, especially, you know, aside of the module, thinking about more of the life cycle and not necessarily the, you know, the sense per watt, right? I mean, that's where sometimes the conversation gets a little bit broken, right? Lender, sponsors, everybody talks about dollar per mile hour, but then there's a whole part of the industry that talks a complete different language, which is the dollars per watt. So it's kind of, you know, uh, helping folks to kind of, um, you know, leapfrog from, from one to the next. So, I mean, we're, we're seeing that happening. So it's, it's very exciting. So Alejo, we're talking about solar, but I wanted to mention your background because you are actually a petroleum engineer. You worked in the oil and gas industry before solar. Tell me a little bit more about that. Uh, absolutely. So I, I, did, I wanted to be a geologist when I was a kid, life mountains. And there was no geology school in, in, at home in, in Mendoza, Argentina, where I grew up. And the closest to that was petroleum engineering. So uh, tons of geology and math and other things. So yeah, I'm, I'm a petroleum, uh, petroleum geologist, uh, engineer, sorry, um, and focus mostly on the upstream side. So fracking, all the bad stuff. And I did work as a petroleum engineer for one of the oil majors in Patagonia, actually, for about five or six years. So I did that from the mid-90s to the early 2000s when I I moved to the U.S. So I'm curious then, how have you seen fossil fuel companies start to take solar more seriously? We've seen a number of cycles of investment. Investment has dropped off, but they seem to be taking it more seriously now. What's your take? Uh, That's a great question. And I remember... um, the you know oil majors you know touting with idea and and coming into you know the industry repeatedly and bp shell you know with mostly on the technology side but also with some project development in the us and, and worldwide but but they were always you know ready to you know to get out you know when when things didn't get um, um you know didn't go well they would just exit the market or what i'm seeing now you know, particularly from Shell and, and, and again with BP and others, is that they're showing a ton more commitment to the industry uh, than before. And I think, I don't, I don't think necessarily that it has changed with them. I think they're still oil companies, but I think electrification is definitely a trend. And, and when I talk about that, I'm not talking only about the power sector, but also about the transportation sector. So, you know, their the major markets for their fuel uh, or hydrocarbon-related products are going to shrink. And, and I'm thinking here over, you know, the next probably 50 years. And it makes a ton of sense. And, and also electrification on other parts, you know, home electrification, appliances, things like that. So electricity is going to uh, be a larger share of uh, overall primary energy use than than it is now. And, and therefore... Th- that's a market that they are going to lose on the fuel side if they don't jump to this side. So I think there's a major uh, motivation, uh, you know, for for the oil majors to start really taking this seriously and develop a strategy and invest seriously in, in, in renewals. And I think, you know, Shell is doing it. So to me, that's super exciting because, and they're going to become, you know, utilities. I mean, they have the size, the scale to do it and the capital to do it. So to me, it's exciting. <laughs> so it sounds like you made the right choice getting into solar when you did. No doubts about it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Alejo Lopez is the Senior Director of Sales and Business Development at Next Tracker. He joined us from Mexico City. Alejo, so good to talk to you. <laughs> Thank you very much, Stephen. Emmanon Parek is an analyst for the Americas at Wood Mackenzie Power and Renewables. He joined us from the Houston office there. Manon, thanks a lot. Thank you, Stephen. This podcast was made in partnership with Next Tracker, a company with 13,000 megawatts of trackers sold or installed in a leadership team with 200 years of combined experience. Next Tracker offers the best in class trackers for utility scale and distributed projects. To learn about how the company helped deliver 754 megawatts of trackers to the biggest solar project in the Americas, read the case study linked in our show notes. And if you want to hear how Dan Sugar, a solar pioneer and OG, founded Next Tracker, check out our episode on what it takes. We'll link to that as well. Thanks for listening. I'm Stephen Lacey.